Father, thank you so much for being our God, for calling us your children. Thank you for giving us the ability to praise you and to gather together in safety and comfort. Father, I pray that as we enter a time of hearing your word, hearing your message, that you would just speak into our hearts and lives, that we would not take what we hear for granted, but really grasp it, really try to apply it and live it out, because what you say is good and is for our benefit. We love you, Father, and I ask these things in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, John Simpson's going to read. This comes from Matthew 28. The Great Commission. Jesus came near and uttered to them, saying, All authority in heaven and upon the earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, you must disciple all the nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to keep all things, whatever I, God, commanded to you. And behold, I am with you all until after that day before the final end of the Satan's world of this age. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you don't have your Bibles open there already, um, you're really going to want to turn to Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Um, this morning I am planning to, I don't do this very often, but it, it's really important in this passage. We're going to drill down, I think it's appropriate terminology on this passage, and we're going to, with a microscope, examine each word of this passage. Um, before we do that, I just want to go, while you're turning there, I'll turn, go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I, I just ask for your spirit to move. For it is by the spirit of God that these words were penned through the author, Matthew. Ultimately, these words are from the throne of God. And they're for us today. Written thousands of years ago, but for us today. And Lord, we confess we've forgotten We've heard these words before, and we have forgotten. We have been the fool of Proverbs who who has heard things and then quickly dismissed them. And Lord God, we confess that. But this morning, we once again need to hear from your word and grasp hold of these truths And we need our hearts to understand and our minds to understand that every person in this room that is a child of God is called to make disciples for you. Whether they've been a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ for two minutes or 40 years or more, we are called as your children, to draw people unto you. Please, Father God, excite us for this work. Not, do not let us be dreary or fearful this morning of that, but let us, with great anticipation and excitement, move in us this morning that we have the opportunity, the blessing, the gift of leading others to the throne of God continually. In Jesus' most precious, holy name we pray. By the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm always skeptical of stats. Anybody else skeptical of stats? So, So sometimes... When I go to look for stats on things or look them up, I, I really want to find a place where somebody really spells out how they've accumulated the stats that they have. And, and I know there's mixed feelings about Barna in here, right? There's mixed feelings about Barna. But I will have to say of Barna, he is, is one of these guys that for some reason just loves stats and loves to go out and find out about stats. Well, one of the things that Barna went out and found stats about is, is regarding the Great Commission. And... In his 
evaluation of 1,004 churchgoers. And churchgoers are defined as somebody who's attended a church service at least once in the last six months, okay? With that being said, so that gives us a good base of, of kind of what we're dealing with, okay? Sure, I, I get that. I'm seeing people nod their head, but guess what? This is your coworkers Amen. that say they're Roman Catholic or they say they belong to another church, but they don't go. So before we do that, these are the people that you may have right next to you as neighbors who say they go to church and maybe they've been Easter and Christmas and that about covers the once every six months. Well, according to them, according to those individuals, 51% of them know what the Great Commission is. Not, not quoting the verse, but just kind of this idea that we're to make disciples. So Barna wanted to drill down on that a little bit better. So he presented these folks with six different passages of Scripture and said, identify which one of these passages of Scripture is the Great Commission. Only 37% of those people can identify the Great Commission, the verses where the Great Commission is derived from when giving not just the reference, but the whole verse. Evangelicals, Christians who regularly attend church services, the, the numbers are higher. More people can identify it. But what, what Barna discovered that, okay, yes, like 75, 80% of those people can identify the Great Commission and what passage it comes from. But when asked if they understood how to live that out, the numbers dropped to 30% of those individuals say, we know how to live out the Great Commission. We know what it looks like to live this every day. And so I'm sitting here going, hmm, and we're only going to talk about this one Sunday. I think we need, to, we need to spend a little more time on this. And so some of you may hear me this morning, well, I got that passage down, wrote, great. Then I want you to look over this last week. Just look over your last week. And I want you to ask yourself, and no, no raising hands, you don't have to lean to your neighbor or nobody, but just think of your last week. Who did you spend time with over the last week, walking them in the word of God closer to Jesus Christ. Well, let's, let's push past one week. Let's go in the last month where you opened up the Bible and walked somebody closer to Jesus Christ. Showed them what the word of God, who he is, how he's changing your life. And again, this is not for us to raise hands. And for some of us, we're pushing back a year. But wait a minute. This is the great commission. This is the great command of God. So if we're not doing this, then we're not being obedient, obedient and, 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 and not being obedient is called sin. Okay, so that's why I think it's really important that we're going to spend time this week and then Paul's going to be a great example for you of what it looks like to be a disciple maker on a foreign mission field. And I'm going to come back and we're going to spend three more weeks what it looks like talking about, very practically talking about. It'll be some of my most practical sermons that I've ever preached here on what it looks like for us as people in this valley, in this time period, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay? This is important. I mean, that word, essentials, isn't just some cool-looking graphic that we created. We mean it. To love God, to love others, and to make disciples. You could take the whole go, gather, give, grow, if you've been part of my other series like this before, and you, just, you can forget about them. This is who we're going to become. When you want to find out about LSC, what does LSC do? We love God, we love others, we make disciples. This is going to be at the very core of who we are and what we're going to be as about as the church body. That's it. Super simple. Let's, let's strip off the pretty things. Let's try to stop putting lipstick on what God's already said. What God said is beautiful. It's powerful. It does not need my help. My, definitely not my authority. Amen? Amen. So we're going to love God. We're going to love others make disciples. The one thing I didn't say last week, and we're going to get that sermon up. It's not up quite yet if you missed it is I didn't say, and I really think what's very clear, when we talk about loving God, and we talk about loving God with all of our being, our emotions, our, our inner self, our bodies, our physical lives, and then everything that we have, immaterial, material. But when we talk about loving God, it's extremely important that you understand that when we say love God, it is the God of the Bible. Not the God of 
2020 and what uh, the New Yorker, New York Times, or Seattle Times says God is. Okay, it, it, is, it is the God of the Bible. And God of the Bible says some offensive and hard things to us. But it is for the purpose so that we might have abundant life in him and for us to be able to glorify him with everything that we have and everything that we are. So in order for us to correctly love God, we have to understand who God is. And we spend a lifetime in the word of God discovering that. Okay? So if we start loving something about God that isn't scriptural, we have to correct our understanding of who God is in order for us to rightly love him. Okay? If you have questions about that, I would love to talk with you more about that afterwards. But I just felt like I needed to revisit last week and bring that forward to this week so that we understand that we're all on the same page. The Bible is our authoritative source for who God is. Okay? All right. Great. All right. Let's dive into this text. So hopefully you're at Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Really appreciated the text John read from today. There are some, there's some value and some great insight that is given to us when we read various different English translations, okay? Um, and I really like one term, and when we get there, I'll tell you what that was in regarding the translation um, that John read from this. But we've got Matthew 28, 19, and 20 open. And Jesus came to them, and this is at the end of Jesus' ministry. This is the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And the Gospel of Matthew has been all about demonstrating to the people of this day that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. A couple years ago, how long? I think two and a half years we spent going through Matthew, something like that. I mean, that was, that was the emphasis of Matthew. I think people were like, okay, I think I get it. It's about Jesus being the Messiah. You know, this happened to fulfill what was written about, you know, Jesus is the Messiah. And so when he says these final words here, it's through this lens for this audience that he's going, this is the promised Messiah. And he's getting ready to leave and begin that the church age is going to begin. And then he's going to return for his church someday. But in this interim period, while we wait for the return of the king, we wait for the return of the Messiah, this is his commission to the church. To the family of God, this is what we're supposed to be doing. So that is super important that Jesus is speaking. If you have a red letter edition Bible, which just basically means that when you see red letters, that people are saying these are the words of Christ. Okay? So we see here, and Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority, authority over sin, authority over death, authority over the world, authority over the people that live in the world, authority over the animals, authority over the heavens, the earth, under the earth, authority over everything. All authority, all spiritual authority has been granted to God. Jesus Christ, and why was it given to him? Because Jesus Christ perfectly acted in obedience to the will of the Father. He was born fully God, fully man to the Virgin Mary. He lived his life being ridiculed, facing the, the limitations of this world, the struggles of this world, the hardships of this world. And he faithfully obeyed God throughout all of it. He went to the cross, he died for our sins, and on the third day he rose again. And he's about ready to ascend into heaven and seat at the right hand of the Father where he'll continue to be our go-between between the Father and us. To be the great high priest who never takes a day off. These should be, should have been very comforting words to the disciples. The rabbi, the teacher that they follow has all authority. And so if they act in obedience to Jesus, they fall up underneath the one who has all authority on heaven and in earth. So these words start off 
This command, these commands start off with an opening and a closing statement that is extremely comforting. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, so listen to me. I want to pause there for a second. Jesus is King and Lord. What he is about to say is not optional. And so when we say, I follow Jesus, when we start into this relationship of pursuing God and saying, I want to follow after him, we follow him not as a buddy, not as a pal, not as somebody that we get to disagree with, but as king, as Lord, as one who has all authority. And when he speaks and when he says something, we hit our knees and say, as you will, Lord, just as Jesus did to the Father. Not your will, not my will, but yours be done. That's how we're supposed to respond to this. So I'm kind of giving it all away before we even get into it. Like, that should be our response because all authority has been given unto him. We go into this, and it says, he says there in that verse 19, and Jesus, or verse 18, and Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, a lot has been made of this go thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out. I'm going to give you a good old-fashioned Greek lesson today. Okay, you ready for this? Greek lesson. There is a relationship between the main verb, the main verb, and this whole section is make disciples. That is the command. That is the imperative. That is in the form of an imperative, okay? Make disciples. It's like that, when they hear that in the language, early language, they would say, okay, that is the thrust of what Jesus is saying. The go part is basically a supportive verb to the make disciples. I'll give you an example of this. It's like a kid waiting to go up to the plate on a baseball game. Nobody has to tell the kid, stand up to go hit the ball, right? The kid stands up and goes and hits the ball. That's go. It's called an attendant circumstance participle. You're like, I'll never use that. Good. That's fantastic. You can flush that part of the sermon in my brain. But this is basically, for all my, my scholarly type people, that's what this is going on here. He is basically saying, you can't make disciples just like you can't hit a baseball while sitting on your butt on the bench. You can't make disciples without going. That's the relationship between those two verbs. Okay? He is saying if you're going to make disciples, it means that you're, it's going to take place while you're going out. We don't get to just sit back on our lazy room couch at home and say, well, somebody's going to come to me soon and I'll get to make a disciple of them. No. It's as we go. Right? God brings people in our paths as we talk about him in our goings during, throughout the day. To make disciples. The emphasis for you here this morning, and hear me clearly, the emphasis is for us to make disciples. Who are we to make disciples of? All nations, all peoples, all tribes, all tongues. One of the most beautiful scenes that we see in the book of Revelations in heaven is all nations and all tribes and all tongues gathered around the throne. Rejoicing and praising God and singing glory to his name. And I think it'll be with one voice, but in many languages. It'll be beautiful. It'll be a lot like, I think, like the day of Pentecost. I may be wrong where people are hearing everything in the tribes and tongues of their own native ears. And rejoicing and praising God and glorifying God. It'll be amazing. And we are called to go make disciples of all nations. That's why at Livingstone Church, it is super important for us to be supporting missionaries that go and implant themselves in foreign places throughout the globe. And that is not something that we do with, 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 with reluctance, but rather with great joy. That we get to be participants and those that are going to make disciples of all people. What does it mean to make a disciple? What is a disciple? A disciple is basically a follower, 
of Jesus Christ. When we talk about disciples, we're meaning a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who wants to know Jesus and follow after Jesus. So, therefore, when we talk about making disciples, we're making disciples who look like who? Jesus. Super important. Super important for us to understand. We're not here to make disciples of people that look like us. That's really important. You know, I hear people sit down sometimes with individuals to talk to them about the Word, and they spend two minutes in the Word, and the rest of the time they get to say, well, I do this this way, and I do it this way, and I do it this way, and I do it this way. No, let's look at what Jesus did. Let's look at what Jesus calls us to respond. And we can confess and say, I struggle to do that. Like, don't be like me in that I struggle in obedience to this passage, but together we can strive to be fully obedient to God in this area. Let's not call people to look like us. Let's call people to look like Jesus. Amen? By, when you see this morning, when we look at these um, slides, when I got a parenthesis and a quotation, that's my word that I put in there to give you an understanding of the text, okay? How do we make disciples? He's going to tell us to do two things. And you know this if you've not read this passage before. Baptizing them. Which is very interesting. This is the part where I really love John's translation with the idea of immersing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is where I think we've missed the point of this text. When we, somebody gets dunked in the water, we think, sweet, check that box, I'm done. They've been baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's over. We can move on now to the teaching part. I'm going to challenge you a little bit in your understanding that. We will spend the rest of our Christian lives being immersed into the identity of the Godhead. When we talk about being immersed, I'm talking about it literally impacting and affecting every part of us. And we talk about into the name, and this is so significant and important to us that we're baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Name is this understanding that we're baptized into the identity. We're being immersed into the identity of God. That is why over and over again in the Psalms we hear and we read, no God, no God, no God. It's not so that we can have a really fat brain and have all this academic knowledge. It's so that the knowledge of God, may, we may be immersed in who he is and I'll have our lives completely changed by him. So that when we're walking with someone and following Jesus and helping them to follow Jesus, that we help immerse them, that we're in the word. We immerse them in the identity of who God is. That when God says that God is the father, that because God is father, we become family. We become family. And I'm super excited to know that this morning and here in this passage or in this, in this congregation this morning, we have people who have just this week come to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. And I want you to know this morning you are my family. You're my brother. You're my sister in Jesus Christ. And I'm so excited for you. And because God is your father, you now have this whole new family you never knew you had before. Isn't that amazing? And it doesn't matter who your father was or is because none of us are perfect earthly fathers and oftentimes we give an ugly, bad example of what God the Father looks like. Thank goodness Father, God the Father is able to overcome that example and show truly what a good father, a perfect father looks like. You know, during VBS this week, we sang good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. And I am loved by you. That's who I am. So to understand that God is our Father means that we become family for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and because Jesus is the suffering servant, because he's the king, because he's the Messiah, all of those names mean that we have it changed as well, that we are now servants of the Most High God. We're servants of the King. That we live now not for ourselves, we live for him, we live to give him glory. And that it is a, not a rule-stricken life, wrong. It is a life of freedom. You have been set free. 
to know the power of God in your life, the abundant life, and that the world can no longer sell you a box of lies about what true life looks like. But in Jesus Christ, you have abundant life, and it's a life that sets you free. And that is what we're to be reminding people when we disciple them to Jesus Christ. You are not bound by a bunch of rules. Rather, you have been set free in Jesus Christ, and there is life, and it's abundant life in him. And so if you find yourself when discipling somebody can repeatedly, don't, 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 don't. I want you to stop and ask yourself, am I really painting an image of Jesus Christ? Am I helping this person understand that he has set them free and how they can learn to say yes, yes to Jesus' glory, yes to Jesus' might, yes to Jesus' power, yes to Jesus' victory, and that we can leave behind the things of this world. We also are baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit. And one of the greatest pictures of, the, of, of, of what the Holy Spirit does is the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and he descends upon the, the believers, the disciples there in that place, and they begin to go out. And they're sent. They're empowered by the, of God, the empowerment of God to go out and take the gospel into the world. And so we teach people that we're, disciple, that, that we're discipling, we teach them that since the Holy Spirit indwells you, you now have a testimony to share with the world regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whether you've been a believer, and I said it in my prayer this morning, and I mean it, whether you've been a believer for two minutes, two days, three days, or 40 or 50 years, your testimony remains powerful in who Jesus Christ is. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that we need to understand that we we make disciples go, and the, the focus being make disciples is not an option. And we make disciples of all nations, first baptizing them, immersing them in the identity of who God is. And that takes place, yes, very visually, very conceptually at the moment of their baptism, but it's something that is continued throughout their life that we are continually needing to be immersed in who God is. Why do you think we do the creed every single week? You need to be immersed. We need to be immersed and reminded in who our God is and give glory to him. The second thing that we're to do here in this passage or the example of like here's making disciples, you immerse them, you baptize them. The second thing is we teach them, we instruct them. And I want to warn you again, I want to caution you that by teaching these people that God has given us to lead, we're teaching them about Jesus. I was discipled by Dr. Dave Mappis, a gentleman who struggled with extreme migraine headaches in Phoenix, Arizona. He was one of my professors at, at Southwestern College, and I remember Dave continually pointing me to the word of God and, and saying when we come across a difficult passage and he'd say, Scott, I want you to study this and I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit leading, guiding. And when, when you come back to me and talk with me about this, we'll, we'll discuss the different views of this. And every time he talked with me, he never said, it's 100%, you better believe it this way. And if you don't believe it this way, he said, you know, this is 60-40 or 80-20 or, or 70-30. And it's not, we weren't talking about salvation issues. We were talking about some of those fringe things that there's a little bit of, of, of a right perimeter that's right and a left perimeter that's right that's biblical and to work within that. And I so appreciate it because he wanted me to be led by the Holy Spirit and by God. He wanted to keep me within the safe confines of Scripture, but he wanted me to be led by God, not by him. He didn't want me to look like him and his faith. He wanted me to have a faith in God. And that when we disciple people to Jesus Christ, we don't disciple them again to look like us. We don't teach them to act like us. You know, they have a gift, a spiritual gift set that we won't have. And that would be really wrong that if, you, if I disciple somebody, well, then they better be teachers of the word as far as preachers. No, no, no. God has a plan for them, and I want to disciple them in such a way that the Holy Spirit moves within them and their faith is in strength, and then they grow up in relationship with, with God and to Jesus Christ. 
Now, what do we teach them? Great question. So glad you asked. Good, good question. <laughs> Observe all that. Who's speaking? Just a reminder. Jesus. I. So when he says I, remember, flashback, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. All. So Jesus is speaking. I have commanded you. Well, last week, what did he command us? What's our first two essentials? What's the first one? What's the second one? Now, I want to give you this picture. Piper gave this picture, and I really appreciated it. Imagine the throne of God seated in heaven. And below the throne of God, let's say it's hanging out over an edge, so there's a little bit of a drop-off. And on one side of the throne, there's a chain that is attached. And on this chain, it reads, Love God. And on this chain over here reads, love others. And then there's this, there's this board that is in between these two chains. And on this board is all the rest of the commands of Scripture. That if we're truly to understand what God desires of us to obey, we have to understand that we love God with all of who we are. All of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. And we talked about that, and I'll say it again. All of our heart, all of our emotions, all of our feelings, all of our thoughts. We love God with our very life, with the very breath that we have. We love God. And, and we love God with, with everything we've been given, material and immaterial. And we love our neighbors as ourselves. And we talked about that this week, last week, that loving our neighbors as ourselves is, as I desire to have a nice house and a nice home for my family, I desire my neighbor to have a nice house and a nice home. As I desire my wife and I to have a healthy relationship in the Lord, I desire my neighbor to have a great relationship with his spouse in the Lord. As I desire to have children that want to understand the scriptures, I desire that my neighbor has children that understand the scriptures. And I recognize that if I'm to love my neighbor like that, that it's going to cost me something to love like that. And that's the point. To love others as we would love ourselves, as we desire for ourselves, we are to love them. Upon those two chains hang all the commandments. Hang all the commandments. So what are we to teach our disciples? We're to teach those who God has given us to disciple, to love God, and to love others. And I guarantee you, every command you read in Scripture, and you're like, well, I guess I don't need to read the Bible anymore. Er, wrong. Remember that whole love God, and if you don't know who God is, you can't really love Him appropriately, right? So we got to dive into the Word, understand who God is, so that we can love Him the way He has called us to love Him. And loving others will stir up a whole bunch of selfish and, and nasty emotions within ourselves that we're going to need the Scripture and the Spirit to overcome. Okay? We're in this together. So we definitely need the Word of God. And we don't need to say, well, those, those few essentials. No, but that's a, they're a reminder. Like, if you spend time with someone and you're discipling them and you did not teach them about loving God or loving others, that may have been a swing and a miss. Thank God for God's grace. And there's the next week you can get next time you can get together with them and you can get back on track because that's exactly what we've got to do discipling people towards the love of God and the love of others. It's the essentials. And in that love of God and love of others is making disciples. That's what we're called to do. We cannot. It's like the army gives this illustration, but for a different thing. They talk about that the soldier is an emotional and a physical and a spiritual being. And that if one of the legs on the stool is off, you can't sit on that stool. It's worthless. Well, I'm going to argue that it's similar in form here. That to love God, to love others, and to make disciples is this three-legged stool. And that if we're not doing one of them, that stool is worthless. Because you can't tell me you love God if you don't love others. You can't tell me you love God if you don't make disciples. You can't tell me you love others if you don't love God. I want you to hear that one really quickly because the world has bought into that. The world believes in a love of others apart from the love of God. And it's this peace and this, what's the bumper? The coexistence, right? That bumper sticker that we see around here. When love is informed to us 
by our Heavenly Father who made it. And you can't make disciples the way God has called us to make disciples if you don't love God and you don't love others. Teaching them to observe, to keep. And he ends this passage with, I am with you always to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, I want to, I'm hoping you're encouraged by the opening and beginning statements because I think a lot of fear can be stirred up when we start talking about making disciples because some of you say, I don't know enough. I haven't studied scripture enough. I haven't been taught enough. So what you're recognized then that you need to be discipled. Fantastic. Who's going to disciple you? The next question is, okay, you're getting discipled, but guess what? You can still disciple others to Jesus Christ. And we want to we wanna split up discipleship and evangelism and create two different categories. And I don't know how helpful that is. I really don't. Because we disciple people even before they come to faith in the cross. We inform them about who Christ is. The way you're living your life right now, the way you're conducting your life in business and in friendships and in family, the way you're conducting your life, you are discipling people towards to something. But is it Jesus? And hopefully we disciple in such a way that when a person, when we come alongside somebody and we disciple them who are not yet believers and we disciple them to the cross, the exciting part is when they become believers, then after they're, they're, they come to faith in Jesus Christ, and they now understand, guess what my role and my responsibility is? Make disciples. Where we have failed, church, is that we think making disciples means Come to my Sunday morning gathering. Oh, I invited them to church. They didn't come. Sorry about their luck. Hope to see you in heaven, but I did my part. Or we invite them to our life group. I am asking you to enter into a higher calling. I'm asking you to enter into a calling that Jesus did. Jesus walked alongside of people and said, you come follow me. I want you to invite people into your life to come follow you to the cross, to Jesus Christ, to open up your life, to expose your life to others, the good things and the bad things, so that they might see what it is to understand that they will grow up in the understanding that God calls me to point people to the cross, not to a Sunday morning gathering. We're reading, Christy and I read a great book together called Among Wolves. And he talks, he uses some quotes in there to talk about what it is To make disciples. He said the problem is not the harvest. The problem is not that there are not enough people who want to listen to the, the problem isn't that there are not enough people who want to listen to the gospel. The problem is there are not enough shepherds and not enough leaders. The laborers cannot be a few people while the large majority enjoy the comforts those few provide. Every one of us needs to carry our weight and take responsibility because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. God calls us to make disciples, which is different than making converts. And I want to leave you with these differences. Converts are believers who live like the world. Disciples are believers who live like Jesus. Converts are focused on their values, interests, worries, fears, priorities, and lifestyles. Disciples are focused on Jesus. Converts go to church. Disciples are the church. Converts are involved in the mission of Jesus. Disciples are committed to it. Converts cheer from the sidelines. Disciples are in the game. Converts hear the word of God. Disciples live it. Converts follow the rules. Disciples follow Jesus.
Converts are all about believing, and disciples are all about being. Converts are comfortable. Disciples make sacrifices. Converts talk. Disciples make more disciples. I wish I could tell you I'm awesome at this. I'm not. This week, we've had people volunteer at VBS. People gave up work, money, and and, and financial resources in order to be with kids in a small group setting and spend all week with them and just talking with them about God being good. This week, we had one of our church family take somebody to camp. Again, sacrificing time at work, financial resources to go. And because of her obedience, she has a daughter in Christ walking and sitting right next to her today. This is what we live for. I love being a dad, but the only way I'm a successful dad is if I'm a disciple-making dad. And we can't use our families as an excuse not to disciple of God, the people that God just put clearly within our past, because God does it. I know people have different views of Blackaby's book, Experiencing God, but it was very impactful to me while I was in Kuwait that God puts people in our paths and we need to have our eyes open to those people and respond by discipling them to Jesus Christ. If we're too busy to make disciples, then we're too busy. Because we weren't here to make money. We weren't here to be super fantastic moms and dads. We are here to glorify God. And we glorify God by being obedient to Him. And He said, love God, love others, and make disciples. That's what we're here for, church. This is a reason for for us as a church body to exist, to make disciples, to build the kingdom. His kingdom, not our kingdom. And this week, something beautiful happened. Six different churches came together at VBS. Three different pastors were there throughout the week, loving on these kids. And it became about the kingdom work of God. We're here to build the kingdom. We're here to make disciples. And you say, but I don't, I don't have a lot financially, or I don't have a lot mentally, or I don't have a lot skillfully. Like you, you were given, God says God made you the way you are so you can make disciples in the very things that he has placed you in. You are not without. If you have Jesus Christ, like if you've been saved by him and the Holy Spirit living without you, you have everything you need. You're equipped. To go and share what God has done changing your lives. Now, are you going to go along the road and you're going to make some mistakes? Absolutely. And the grace of God will go with you. You may get into some points and need some help with some questions. That's why we have elders in this church body to come alongside and answer some questions. But don't let your fear of those things keep you from going and making disciples. The next three weeks when I get back, my wife and I are going away to celebrate our 24th wedding anniversary next week. And when I come back, we're going to get real practical on what it looks like to make disciples. Okay? So maybe some of you are in that panic mode right now. Breathe. It's going to be great. Okay? It's going to be good. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for demonstrating purpose, perfect obedience. Thank you for, for demonstrating to us what it looks like to make disciples. You did it. You did it perfectly so that we might be able to look at your example and say, okay, 
God is with me. I can go and make disciples. God has said he will always be with me. So we can get off the sidelines. We can pray against our fears. We can stop making excuses. And we can take those first steps and and beginning, Lord God, to identify people in our lives right now that we need to start walking towards the cross. And Lord God, I, I pray that if there are people in this church body that are going like, I need to be discipled. I need to be encouraged and grown up in my faith more that this morning that people would start looking to, you know, getting involved in a life group, getting involved in being with other believers to disciple each other's hearts so that we'll continue to be encouraged as we go out. Because, Lord, we recognize that if we go out and we live this way, we're going we're to get poured out. And we're going to need the encouragement of the believers. We're going to need the strengthening of the body to live this way. We thank you, Father, for giving us such incredible purpose by calling us to be part of your own, by calling us to share our story with others. That we were once not children, but now we are children of God. In Jesus' name we pray, and with the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. This is a time now in our service where we get to encourage each other that God's alive and well. And I'll say that this sermon's a God story for me this week. Uh, in, in Young Life, they have like a tagline that says, you were made for this. And when I first heard that, I kind of thought, uh, it's not like, this is young life, this isn't like, they're talking about you're made for young life? And then, and then as I more, the more I thought through it, and I kind of have young life in my DNA a little bit uh, deep, um, but the more I thought about it, right, like you're, I was, I'm made to go after people who don't know Jesus. I'm made to share my life with them, like, like in Scripture. And it says, we were delighted not only to share the gospel with you, but our whole lives also. Um, and I, I was like, I, I was made for this. It feels so good. Um, and when I think back, I have a, a lot of um, stories and memories of God using me in the past. Um, but lately, it feels like I've not been doing a really good job at living that way. And uh, I feel sad that I have to look back at those great moments of walking with others. That God came through me to other people and I got to watch people come to faith. What a privilege it was. And it hasn't been like that for a while, I feel like. Um, so I'm challenged this morning and that's um, my God story today is, is this sermon just challenging my heart. That if I am too busy to make disciples, I'm too busy. I, I, I agree with that. Um, anybody this week if anything that God did for you, that God did through you, that God did to you. Uh, anybody else have a God story today? Thank you. Well, this isn't a warm, fuzzy story, but this is kind of an update of our lives. October 23rd, 2017, my wife went into the hospital for wound care. Then they discovered that she had cancer. And lately, she's developing Alzheimer's. I've been bouncing back and forth between the hospital and home for over a year and a half now. And I found that traveling on the bus gives me actually a quiet time. So last week on the bus, I was just kind of feeling down, and I kept saying to the Lord, Lord, how much longer can I do this? I'm getting tired. Over and over, I was asking him that on the way up on the bus. That afternoon, on the way back, I was reading a guidepost magazine about a lady that was doing some journaling while reading the Bible. And at the last part of her article, she mentioned Isaiah 41, 
verse 13, and she quoted it there. I am the Lord, I am your God. I will lift up your right hand, I will help you. And that spoke to me. Oh, wow, thank you, Lord, you spoke to me. This week, I needed that again. I found out last Thursday, my wife's sister, who was also within a nursing home, suffering from Alzheimer's, had passed away. And I was wondering, Lord, how am I going to tell my wife this story? Well, yesterday I did. I said, your sister is now with her dad and her mother and your two brothers. She's no longer trapped in that body and she's happy. And my wife Karen says, I thought she was already dead. No problem. And I thought, thank you, Lord. You're still helping me. That's my story. Daryl, first. Uh, back in January, uh, I discovered a lump in my uh, thyroid area. And I had it uh, biopsied and so forth. Um, I was told that 9 out of 10 are not cancerous. But after the biopsy, I discovered that, or he discovered that uh, it was cancerous. And uh, that the operation would be um, kind of delicate because there is a nerve that passes from the brain to the vocal cords. And there's a possibility that uh, it would wrap, the tumor would wrap around that and it make his job difficult and I might lose my voice. Well, anyway, I'm going to make this short and then I'd like to fill it in because God deserves the credit here. Um, uh, I, my last MRI uh, was negative. I do not have cancer. The thing to, to thank God for is because there are things that only he can do that we can't do, and there are things that the doctors can't do. There are things that nurses and pills can't do. But we have to be faithful to the Lord that he will step in there. And... Uh, Another complication was uh, uh, there was a lymph node down below my collarbone into the chest area, which may require a uh, cardiologist to uh, stand by and be prepared to do that, cutting and so forth. And he told me that um, uh, it's a very difficult area to heal up. Um, and if it doesn't heal up, I'd have this uh, significant pain the rest of my life. Well, it turned out during the operation that that was not necessary. The surgeon was able to get that lymph node out of there. So I thank the Lord for that. The other thing is, um, the, other, the other thing's important, too. But anyway, um, um, I had an awful lot of prayer from this congregation. I mean, I, I had people coming out of the woodwork. And it wasn't through the prayer chain necessarily. It was just people that cared enough to pray. And it gave me a great deal of comfort, um, along with a couple of other things. And I just wanted to thank those of you that prayed for me. Um, you know, the scriptures tell us that the prayers of a righteous man avails a lot. And... Uh, I know that I had some righteous people praying for me. And I want you to know, this might seem a little presumptuous, but uh, I know who you are. <laughs> and I don't always know where you live, but um, <laughs> I'm giving you th thanksgiving right now for that. It was a comfort and gave me peace. I've heard people talk about the peace of God that goes without understanding and the comfort. And... Um, I experienced that, and all I could do is stand by and marvel at it. There was another thing that comforted me, and that was the word of God in Romans 8, 28. It said, all things work together for good who love God. It goes on to say other 
thinks about being chosen. But I had a plaque on my uh, wall when I was a teenager from age 13. My grandmother, Seventh-day Adventist, gave to me. I never understood it completely. It seemed a bit strange. Um, But anyway, that was uh, a scripture that I just kept in mind because um, no matter how things turn out, um, it can turn out for the good of God and his glory in some way that we don't always understand. Another thing that gave me great comfort was something that just came from inside. I credit the Holy Spirit for it. It was um, that the will of God is always good. It just came. I didn't think about it or study it, but I give the Holy Spirit credit for that because that's what he's there for. So regardless of the outcome, it gave me comfort in a strange way to know that if it didn't go my way, that was going to be good too. Um, I was reminded when Daryl said thanks for the prayers as I want to speak on behalf of Eileen Brown. She is thankful for the prayers that have been said for her. She broke her uh, femur a week or so ago. Um, I spent some time with her yesterday. She's at um, Colonial Vista. Feisty as all get out and has a plan, but she's still there. Anyways, so she is uh, doing as well as she can, and uh, she's thankful for the prayers. That's good. Yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. Hi, I'm Melissa Eberson, and um, I had the privilege this week to um, co-lead with Athena um, taking five girls to Young Life Camp. So I've been a Young Life leader for three years, and this was my first opportunity to take kids to Young Life Camp. And um, I have to be totally honest, I was so nervous. Um, I had a lot of fear going into it. Um, Just fear of inadequacy, fear of, um, what was I gonna say during cabin time? Fear of what if the questions were too hard? Because I knew that God had called these specific young women to camp. And I knew that he wanted to do things, and I didn't want to mess up. Um, But as we went through camp, um, I saw so many God moments, like more than I could ever even express to you right now. But there were so many God moments where it was undeniably the Holy Spirit showing up. And... um, When we did a debrief yesterday, um, we talked to the girls and asked them what some of their favorite parts of camp were. And they, a lot of them said cabin time. And the really cool thing about that was that was my biggest fear and God showed up. And every single night, there were multiple times that Athena came in, Athena and I came into it saying, okay, Lord, what's she going to do here? (laughs) And we saw God show up in these girls' lives. We saw girls come to know him. We saw girls come to know their worth and their value. We saw girls come to understand the difference between conviction of sin and a story of shame. We saw the Lord show up in so many powerful ways. And I just, I know there were several people praying for us while we were at camp. And I just want to thank you for that because, um, there were many nights, one night in particular where Athena and I were both just exhausted, like in our bones, like just so tired and knowing that there was just pushback from the enemy. And, um, we called home and we asked for prayer and there was one moment at dinner that night, just about half an hour after I'd called home where we could sense a shift in attitudes. We could sense a shift in hearts and we knew that God was like re-energizing our souls. And it was really cool because we were like, well, prayer works (laughs) y'all. Um, so yeah, I just I want to thank everyone for their prayers and their support, um, and to God be the glory, because when we have fear, he wants to replace that fear with 
courage and courage that comes from him. And so, um, yeah, it was a really incredible week. And one of the best parts about it is I felt like there was work done in my own heart where I came back feeling more energized in my spirit than I felt in a really long time. There's a lot to talk about for what God's doing, and uh, that's very exciting. Um, can I, can, Dina, can you come up here for a second? You can carry it. Well, no, you can, yeah, just come on up here. What am I doing to you? It's not me, actually, this time. So, um, if you will look to the back door in the room. 35 years ago. I married my love of my life. Sorry. She's given me 35 years of love and happiness. She's also blessed me with three beautiful child children, Andrew, Brooke, and Caden, who have married two fine young people, Amanda, and Zach, and gave us four beautiful grandchildren. Zachary, Alexander, Adrian, and stepchild Isabel. Today I come here to review our vows and start another chapter of our life. Keith and Dina, when you first joined hands and hearts in marriage 35 years ago, you did not know where life would take you. You promised to love, honor, and cherish one another through all things. And life has surely brought you both wonderful blessings and difficult challenges over the years. As you reflect back over those years as husband and wife, do you now wish to reaffirm the vows you took 35 years ago? Now facing each other and with hands joined and with your promises, recommit yourselves to one another as husband and wife. Keith, will you continue to have Dina as your wife and continue to live in this happy and loving marriage? Yes. Do you reaffirm your love for her? Will you love, honor, cherish her in sickness and in health for richer or poorer? For better, for worse, and forsaking all others, and be faithful to her for as long as you both shall live. Dina, will you continue to have Keith as your husband and continue to live in this happy and loving marriage? Do you reaffirm your love for him, and will, and will you love, honor, and cherish him in sickness and in health? For richer or poorer, for better or for worse, and forsaking all others being faithful to him for as long as you both shall live. Now I've got something for the kids. You ready? Listen up, kiddos. One of the greatest blessings of marriage is the joy and responsibility of raising a family. Keith and Dina have truly been blessed to be mom and dad. And as they renew their vows of marriage today, they also renew their commitment to be loving and caring parents to y'all. It's, that's Texas for everybody, okay? <laughs> to the children, do you give your blessing to your mom and your dad and promise to do everything in your power to uphold them in their marriage for another 35 years? Yes. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you that you authored and you gave to us this incredible blessing of marriage. We learned so much about our faith in you. We learned so much about who you are as two imperfect people are joined together. And Lord God, 
Keith and Dina have imperfectly loved each other and perfectly loved you, and they lived completely underneath your grace, and they have forgiven each other much, and will in the future have more to forgive. And Lord God, we rejoice in that your presence in their marriage, your spirit leading and guiding, will cause them to be able to victoriously live as a married couple for many, many, many years to come. Thank you, Father God, for what you joined together, man cannot separate, and we rejoice in that. In Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. I think you can kiss your bride again. (laughs) You might want to take your wife. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's worth celebrating. And so is the, uh, what we look forward to, like we say in the creed, uh, the life of the world to come and the marriage of the bridegroom to his bride, his church, which is us. Uh, right now we're going to celebrate communion.